Sanctuary is just a big umbrella of safety and security that you can come under and practice in whatever way you want, right? Because we're not here to tell anybody how they should work with the mushrooms. We have a, we have a code of ethics that basically is the golden rule, right? And as long as you abide by that, then you are welcome to be a member of our community. We, are, we will share open source all of our information with, with our community in the effort to help see every individual grow so that society as a whole can, can grow. I think, I think we're on a pretty significant cusp, evolutionary cusp as humanity and psychedelics are going to play. They are playing a significant role in that. So the quicker we can just get this out to the people without having to wait for, you know, the man to keep telling us what we can and can't do, then the faster that's going to happen. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations. Today I have Eric from the Sanctuary Church. Welcome Eric, can't wait to dive into this conversation with you. Happy to be here, Susan. So just to give a little bit of a context to our listeners, I just want to say a few things about you. Um, and is that correct? The, the, how do you say sanctuary? Sanctuary with the P? Sanctuary. It's, uh, it, it never ceases to surprise me when people say peace sanctuary because we never say peace psilocybin or peace psychiatry <laughs> yeah. but for some reason it doesn't seem to connect for people sometimes mm, sure no i was just gonna read it like sanctuary mm -hmm. church so great <laughs> um okay so um so eric was born in kentucky countryside broke from his conservative origins and immersed himself in the esoteric a father of four Eric has devoted his life to expanding spiritual, physical, and mental health through embracing the natural world. And I'm really fascinated that you have been doing facilitating psilocybin experience for 24 years. So, wow, that's so many questions I have for you, Eric. So, heads up. Uh, and you are the founder of the world's first psilocybin mushroom retreat, the nation's most public sacred mushroom church and three gourmet and psychedelic mushroom farms. And you are one of the world's most leading experts in the psilocybin mushroom cultivation and facilitation. Wow, so much to talk about right now. And um, I'm so you know um, honored to have you here and, and the work that you do, it's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, we dive into your story. So please tell us what brings you to this work. Oh, uh, well, I mean, kind of like the bio touched on there, it really started with the love of the natural world. Um, growing up in the countryside, you know, that's where I spent most of my time was outdoors. And um, early on, it started with the love of herpetology. I began hunting and collecting snakes when I was very young. Um, and that has just kind of continued to be a big part of my life. It open doors into um, just so many other beautiful aspects of nature, uh, which eventually became mushrooms. Uh, didn't, I didn't start with psychedelic mushrooms. I started 
uh, my love for mycology started with shiitake and reishi and you know all the gourmet and medicinal mushrooms that are out there that then opened my eyes to psychedelics. I was actually pretty uh, untrusting of psychedelics in my younger years, you know, because of all the false information uh, that was purported mainly by the United States government around the world. Um, and so cannabis, you know, kind of opened that door for me. And then I had a couple of LSD experiences and, and mushrooms and just it just, it just married all of my loves together. I've always loved the weird. My coffee cup here even still says, keep it weird as a platypus on it. <laughs> uh, so it's like the, the psychedelic world felt like home to me. Uh, and then that it was so natural um, just was an added bonus. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. And you also the founder of the, can we say the first church, St. Simon church? And uh, there's a couple of other psilocybin churches that have been operating before sanctuary. Um, I think most of them have been pretty underground. Um, we are very, very public. Uh, so uh, not the first, but probably the most public right now. Mm -hmm. And how was that to navigate? What's the, you know, how do you navigate the landscape? Because it's still very sensitive around the legal system. So how, how does that, if you wish to walk us through the whole, process if, if that's okay uh well i mean we're still walking through the process i mean we are an established church we were founded in 2021 yeah uh legally anyway we had uh several attorneys that we worked with uh in, in setting up the organization and um you know, it's just kind of ongoing evolutionary process. <clears throat> Having done all the work that we did in Jamaica with the retreat centers there really prepared us in many ways uh, for what we're doing. But what we what we didn't have through those retreats that's so different about sanctuary is is the community that's building around it. And that's first and foremost what we're really doing here is building or gathering, maybe. I mean the psychedelic community already exists in many ways and we do have a lot of people who come to psilocybin for the first time through sanctuary and become part of our community uh, but that's just the most important most valuable aspect of what we're bringing to the table is uh, this this public community of experienced individuals who provide support for each other so that you know another kind of lesson learned from our work in the retreats is that Anytime you're doing this kind of typical wellness model, whether it is through a uh, clinical format or if it is a more informal retreat type setting, you're almost inevitably going to end up with a hierarchical kind of top down. Who's the boss telling everybody how to do the thing? And even though I was the boss, I hate that shit. I'm, that is not how I operate. Uh, I love for us to all come together bring our ideas together and create something in unison rather than someone telling other people how to do things. Uh, so I think that's really what makes sanctuary very different, probably even from a lot of the churches, because as you, I'm sure, you know, you know, many churches have that same hierarchical model, which is what we are uh, really dead set on uh, not incorporating into our program. Hmm. Yeah, sounds great. And interestingly, today I just came across Gabor Mate's little bit of a clip. Um, he was saying that the 
you know, psychedelic work requires community. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't just bring a bunch of people to a ceremony or expect them to go through. It's not like, you know, the model of the Western lenses of like individualistic. He was mm-hmm. saying, you know, this individualistic and competitive uh, world is not serving, especially with the psychedelic world. It, it just doesn't serve and it's the biggest travesty. And I thought, as you're saying this now, I'm thinking, I was thinking the same thing. And um, over here in the UK, we are also trying to rather bring in a community than just the hierarchical system of who is in charge and who is not and really educate everyone equally so that they can all be informed and I love your model I think going forward um, do you think especially with the psychedelic work this is the model that's probably going to survive yes equally equally hard though do you do you agree because it's 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 um what I really have my biggest challenge has always been because of the um such a long Western lens of this hierarchical system is kind of ingrained in this. In, in the, mm-hmm. in, it, it's so wired in people that sometimes they find that uh, absurd or interesting or not trusting. Do you know what I mean? How, how do oh, you 100%. Yeah. It, that's a 100%. That's an excellent question. And it's something that we are constantly reevaluating. Are we living true to our, um, to our belief system? Right. And so, checking to make sure because it does it just like it inevitably creeps in like you know i'm a dad and what did i grow up with well you know you do what dad says why because dad says so and so re reprogramming that in my relationship with my children with my wife my friends and our community uh, it does take a conscious effort uh it's one of the reasons that we have um completely revamped our ministry over the last year you know when we started these, when we started the church, um, even though we were intentionally trying to create something very different from the retreat model, we found ourselves kind of, kind of unconsciously doing the same things that we did. And so, you know, every few months we just take a look around, like, okay, what are we doing? Is this really true to how we how we believe this should should operate? And then we shift it. So the, for example, you know. Um, in most churches, you have the minister who is the head of the church, right? Well, what we're doing differently is we have created uh, the world's first sacred mushroom seminary, which is an educational uh, organization to ordain other ministers. And we have uh, we have four levels of ministry right now that we're working with. The first one is what we call the subtle sacrament minister, and that's just um, ordaining someone, training and ordaining someone to microdose themselves, right? We call microdosing the subtle sacrament. Then we have what's called the myself minister, and that is ordaining someone to be a minister of their own self. You don't, and this is my ultimate belief is that no one needs someone else telling them how to practice with mushrooms, right? And then we can, you can step it up and you can be a friends and family minister. So you can administer a sacrament to your close circle, and then there's also the ability to become a community minister, which is kind of like myself working with people who are more traumatized, maybe uh, bigger groups, higher doses. I mean, there's there's definitely um, a graduated level of skill with psychedelics, and I, I don't know that that's really being considered in um, in this kind of renaissance as well, necessarily. It's kind of like, well, you had two psychedelic experiences, so you know how they work. And as someone who's taken mushrooms minimum 500 times, I can tell you that I continue to learn 
something new about the mushroom and the experience almost every time that I take them, you know, so it's, it, it, it has, I think if, if we're going to change society and, you know, we're seeing our monetary systems are shifting, we're seeing our government sh- systems shifting our healthcare. And if we're going to do like you're saying to really ensure that we don't fall back in those habitual ways of thinking and behaving, then we have to stay, you know, constantly aware, constantly questioning ourselves, never just accepting that what we're doing is the right way. Mm, I love this. I love this model, Eric. You know, um, I can see beyond it. Like, you know, when you say there is a the, the ordination levels, mm-hmm. I think this is great. And uh, because like in, for example, our community, we also reinforcing the self-agency, right? Reinforcing the self-agency. Mm-hmm. You, you know, how do we activate that inner healing intelligence in people? How do we activate their, how do, how to, how do we uh, allow conditions, the right conditions and the support for them to actively practice, to repattern themselves back into this self-agency? It's really hard mm-hmm. because one of the, the most, uh, you know, forget the psychedelic work, but alone, just working in therapy, just a casual therapy with other modalities what I find the most difficult thing is that people don't even think that they have agency, that they can have the agency and they can have the choice. Yes. So um, so I can see beyond your ordination levels because then people are, obviously this is a process for them to really claim that self-agency slowly mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. accountability, like someone's watching over rather than telling them what to do. Right. But providing the right conditions and the accountability. So I find that really valuable. Yeah, yeah, community support. Model. Yeah. Encouragement. You know, that's that's what most of us just need, right? We don't need someone mm. telling us what to do. We just need somebody cheering us on as we figure it out, you know. And as as you said that around, you know, um kind of the mm, the how we have in some ways forgotten that we have agency, it, you know, in the early stages of this kind of retraining and reframing, I think that it certainly uh, can create some discomfort. You know, there have been many, many times where I, in working with someone in the psychedelic space, um, in an effort to help that person reclaim their power, then I I completely back off. And, I, you know, I'm there. They can see me. I'm, I'm a support. I'm there with you. But but I want you to make it through yourself. I want you as much as possible to help pick yourself up so that when you come out of there, you're not looking at me like your savior. Nobody else needs you see your own power. Uh, and so, you know, it just as, as we make that adjustment societally, individually, it can create some, some fear and discomfort. But once we get over that kind of threshold, then the freedom, which I appreciated <laughs> that, uh, the freedom that that allows, like that's what we're all ultimately going for, even though we may not I know it. it. I love that. I love that. That's the ultimate liberation. I think, you know, giving people that self-agency is the ultimate liberation. You know, when they start to decide for themselves, when they decide to act upon what they think or feel the, the truth um, and not relying, because right now we have, this codependency, mm-hmm. universal everywhere, mm-hmm. in every country, every groups, every nations. And I think everything, whole systems, you know, 
the foundation, the fundamental systems are built on that. And then, and then the psychedelics are coming. Um, they want that to be changed and dissolved and, and you know, encouraging us to, to step into that self-agency. And you're right, you know, in the beginning, people really get discomfortable and really, really, it's a very uh, situation of despair and not knowing. And it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of navigating the unknown, the fear of, for the first time stepping into the agency. I know I go on, but I can go on on self-agency like entire episode. No, it's, which yeah, it's, it's so real. Yeah. So, I mean, I yeah. think right now what it, it's bringing to my mind is in our financial systems, you know, here in the U.S. where there's a lot of talk about universal basic in- income. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not involved in politics. But, you know, to me, that sounds like more of the same, right? Like, yeah. I just, I, I, I love seeing people step into their power, my children, my family, myself, my friends, my community, wherever that is. And the, the more we just kind of continue to hand out resources instead of us seeing our own resourcefulness, it's just, it's just perpetuating that same colonial mentality. You know, I don't know how familiar you are with, uh, um, say like the Willie Lynch letter or American slavery. Uh, you know, my, my undergrad was in, um, or am I, uh, uh, minored in Pan-African studies. And that's how I ended up in Jamaica. I was at a, a long love for you know, the African diaspora and studied all of that. And, and, and this codependency was an intentional tactic that was used by oppressors to perpetuate slavery. And we don't realize that we are still living in that legacy. And which is ironic, you know, that psychedelics are <laughs> kind of in some ways being applied in that same manner. But I have nothing but confidence that as more and more people uh, encounter the psychedelic experience, that they will come to understand that it is truly a liberative experience. It's it, This is not something that even is best, I believe, I don't believe it is, it's best housed under a clinical therapist. This is something that, again, why we started a a church is because by its very nature, the psychedelic experience is a mystical experience, right? It's an ineffable experience. And so to go, and I've, I've got a love therapist. I've been to therapists. I've got many friends that are therapists. I got no criticism with therapy in and of itself, but to try to take an experience that cannot be put into words into a scenario that is built on <laughs> attempts at verbal description uh, it, it's almost comical. Mm-hmm. And also limited. I think it's limited Very. because especially when the therapists are only coming into the space because it's now becoming trendy because yeah. you kind of touched on this earlier a little bit. You said um, it's not something that you could start serving after two experiences. This is an ongoing, probably life. I mean, I had a few amazing guests here. They spent their entire life out in the wilderness communing with these indigenous people and really learning things from bottom up and the one thing they continually reinforce and tell us is that you this is a relationship yes you know this is a relationship with nature and and you are part this is your relationship it is for life this is not just one-time experience in peru or costa rica this is a relationship and there was especially one um guest said um before his teacher allowed him to take the medicine, he had to do so many other things to really earn that or 
not earned, but you know, do you know what I mean? To to mm-hmm. to be able to contain and commune with this ineffable experience. So I I really value those experiences and people's wisdom in that sense. And especially now, we're going to see a lot of training um, organizations just popping up everywhere and training people in in you know one year. Um, just because it's becoming um, trendy. So what are your thoughts? I'm sure you've seen so much happening in the last 20 years, right? Yeah, that is is such a huge topic that could be an entire, you know, long episode in itself, but it's worth touching on for sure. Um, It just kind of was in in a LinkedIn conversation a minute ago, someone was talking about this whole thing. And it's just like, psychedelics have kind of become the next place to get famous is the joke that I was making, you know, and, and that's just not what these are about. And I have, I have seen, I can't tell you how many therapists that I have seen come into the psychedelic space who came to work in Jamaica saying, I know this is, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And they would come down and work for a few ceremonies and see how, you know, how crazy it can get at big, these really high doses and, and just like, yeah, no, they, they decided very quickly it wasn't for them. So I think we're going to see a lot of that uh, in terms of the training. So, you know, this this has been a real challenge for me. Uh, it was, you know, it it took me a very, very long time before I felt anywhere close to competent enough to administer psilocybin to strangers, right? Like for, for many, many years, I only worked with my very close friends and my, and myself. And as time went on, you know, my friends would bring in friends and I would slowly start working with people who I kind of knew secondhand or whatever. Um, but when the mushroom has told me to start the retreats in Jamaica, and that's plainly what happened, you know, during a mushroom trip, they said, this is what you're going to do. And I was like, no, 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 this ain't, I ain't doing this. And they're like, yeah, you are. And I resisted for about a year and they just kept telling me, this is what you're going to do. And so finally I just accepted. But even then that was in 2009. And by that point I had had 10 years of a very devoted, um, relationship with the mushrooms. And even in then in 2011, when it told me this is what was going to happen, I took almost two years dosing myself very high levels in the wilderness alone, at least twice a month uh, to just get as much exposure to every shade of this experience before I would start working with other people. And now, you know, after training people in Jamaica and training people within the church, um, there, there are times that I have um, some internal challenge, you know, with the fact that like um, our uh, myself minister training is like is an eight week program, right? Eight weeks, eight months could never prepare you for uh, the varieties of experience, um, the situations you can find yourself in, especially when working with other people. But what my hope is, and what my knowing is through my own personal experience and through the experience of you know, traditional cultures as well, is that working with someone else and the training can only take you so far. You've got to have the experience over and over. You've got to develop the relationship. And so what we are providing within our training that I think is going to be the real benefit after the eight-week program then we will continue to have optional weekly calls 
that you can, people can stay enrolled and subscribe to those calls at a minimal fee. It's like 20 bucks a month, you know, to have some real weekly ongoing support and community so that these individuals can be working with the medicine themselves and then bringing their experiences back into this container of knowledge where it can help them unpack and understand a little more. I mean, one of the things that I did find in, in or have found in my work training is that I can impart more knowledge over the course of six months than I learned on my own over the course of six years. And I, I mean that, you know, when I, for, for years and years and years, you know, it was just me administering uh, to, to people here in my community uh, in, in Jamaica. And then as I started training people in Jamaica, I could, I could see that those individuals were, they were, they were gaining knowledge so much faster than I did just because I was able to, and it's so many times, it's not even through verbal communication. You know, there was a therapist that I was working with that I recall once where um, there was a young man who was a young man and his mother were there on retreat. And this therapist, she had been, you know, kind of involved in psychedelics for a while. um, But she came to really make this make a career out of this. And there was this kind of energetic exchange that was going on between uh, four of us there and the therapist being one of them. And she didn't really understand what was happening, but she was playing a role in it. And by being able to be with me and, and know that what she was experiencing was, was real, right? Because I was able to with not again, not even with words, like waves of energy would move through and transitions would happen. And she would look at me and I would, I could just kind of give her a knowing nod and you could see that light go off in her eyes, you know, but when you're working with this stuff by yourself and you're not where, and not with anyone that has, you know, real experience, everybody's trying to figure out what's going on, you know, and because it's so out of context for anything that we you know, have any kind of direct experience with, I think we often doubt ourselves or we make assumptions that are maybe not true. And so to have a team and have a, a network of people who are working together, collecting data, informing each other's practice, then everybody can can grow in skill so much more quickly. I love this model. I really do. Reminds me of the esoteric way of having a mentor who's gone through the awakening before the individual, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. not, not in a hierarchical, but it's more like someone who's walked the path before you. Having them holding your hand is definitely going to speed or, or, or kick the momentum in rather than just trying to figure this out yourself. I think this this is the, the universal law that applies to everything. Um, yeah, like you said, Teaching, training within a framework of six weeks to year, two years, you know, it doesn't matter how long. I know that there is an organization, actually, they're doing a master's in really training with psychotropic medicines. They've got all kinds. And I understand this could really be beneficial. But I think my concern is always, who are those people that are teaching these programs and courses? Because who's validating them? And like you said, who is, are they accountable to? 
another you know place people organizations because this is where the problem is at and since the psychedelic medicines are revealing experiences and we have seen this again and again people can translate and interpret this experience really the opposite way and then put themselves in this hierarchical you know here I am this is you know I'm your teacher and I will tell you how it is going rather than Someone who's conscious, who's done the work, who understands the work with the medicine, knows that you just got to facilitate and be there and, and, and witness and just energetically just be there. And, and this, is the, I think this is the key detail uh, that could really um, create that momentum in people working and learning more efficiently uh, mm-hmm. to work with the medicine. So I, I really understand what you mean. Um, Well, don't you think that's also why it's really important for the educators, the trainers to be in an ongoing relationship with the medicine? Because if you're not, then that ego will get out of control, period. You know, so it's one of those valuable aspects that the that the that psychedelics bring to the table is its ability for us to put ourselves in check. So I don't want anybody working with my community, training within my community that is not actively practicing themselves. I don't want, I don't need, I don't like anyone even holding space for someone that's not actively working with the medicine themselves. It's, I think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, these are, these are great, you know, valid points. So um, coming back to your observations again, what are you seeing we're heading towards? in this new renaissance that, like you said, you know, by the way, I like the joke about everybody's trying to be famous through psychedelics. Is it something like that? What, how, <laughs> yeah, did you, yeah. how did you yeah. say it? Yeah. It's that, yeah. It's just the next place to get famous is through psychedelics. And I think, I think we're going to see that for a while. Um, there's going to be this hype for a while and, you know, it's going to, it's just going to be interesting to watch it all unfold. But I, th- I think it seems to me that the hype within the next five years, probably will taper off because people who get in there and actually start doing the work are going to find out for one, how fucking hard it is, right? Like it is extremely taxing to spend eight hours with one or 20 people who are on psychedelics, not to mention the preparation and the integration that is required as well. So I I really think that what we're going to end up seeing after all the the hype wears off is community supported models. And if they look like churches or they look like, you know, whatever it is, I mean, here in the States, the church is the most uh, protected community support model that there is. Um, and, I, and I really think that's what's going to survive the long haul because what it's going to be, it's going to be people that are actually working with the medicine who are then coming into their community and sharing their knowledge with others who are actually working with the medicine. You know, so, uh, I, you know, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm also like kind of, you know, I, uh, I, I, I don't like popular things. I don't really like pop culture. And so there's a part of me that has gotten, uh, a little, a little, uh, a little sore at the way how psychedelics have been popularized. And it's like, I roll my eyes a lot at, uh, all the microdosing coaches that there are out there, but also know that like it's helping people and it's just part of the process. And if there's really one overarching uh, lesson that has come 
through all of my time in in the psychedelic space it's just to trust the process so rather than criticize i want to have more of a a, a humorous approach to it kind of laugh at it and let it be what it is and know that it's all going to work out it's all good mm, yes great that's wonderful and coming back to uh what you said about how difficult this work is so the level of grit and the resilience and the capacity mm -hmm. that it requires you know it's um when i did my first uh foundational work it was a group of you know a group of uh facilitators uh from all different uh, backgrounds and one native peruvian of course um It, it does become humorous after a while because after every retreat, they would just sit there laughing. Who does this? Who does this? You know, what kind, what, what kind of person with, with the right mind does this? Yeah. Like, are we crazy? <laughs> Do you know? And then, <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I recorded a little, a little video. I did, I did yeah. a dose of LSD a few weeks back, and after it, I got to thinking about, you know, all of the stuff that I've seen, mm -hmm. and I was just like, yeah. You got to be a little crazy to do this, to, act, right? to, 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 to actually like enjoy it and to keep coming back to it, you know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> But that's yeah. another it's, thing. Like, it's always, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I love that you said grit because, you know, it implies not only the fortitude that we as facilitators have to have, but it also implies the rawness of the experience right mm -hmm. that's another that's another big joke that i get whenever whenever i see like the the pictures or videos of you know the psychedelic session in the living room with the eye shades and the two therapists and then i'm like remembering all these times where i've got you know people screaming naked and puking <laughs> like <laughs> that's not gonna that, that little room is not going to be able to contain the enormity of the psychedelic experience and i love that you know i grew up again mm -hmm. like growing up in the countryside playing in the dirt i i love that you know there's this point in a mushroom ceremony you know six hours in when the peak is passed and people are kind of like putting themselves back together and you look around and everybody's just a mess of dirt and snot and tears and laughter. And it, it they're, they're, I just, I, I love the non-sterile nature of the mushroom experience. And, and again, that's why it's so funny for me to see it in the, you know, the, the clinical sterile environment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. And Okay, so since the medicine responds to the environment and the setting, setting mm -hmm. um, I have to share this with you. This is a really, you'll love this. Um, so we had this uh, psilocybin facilitator, of course, with this group that I talk about. Um, and he used to always say, now it's kind of a lot more sense as I'm seeing the images, like you say, you know, the eye shades, the music, there's all these like, you know, like music list and all this yeah, crap and yeah, all of that. Yeah. Anyway, and um, yeah, he used to say, when when we, you know, create a setting in the nature, how it should be in the right conditions, then the mushroom spirit comes in in, in suits and ties, like suits <laughs> and ties, meaning they respond differently to the setting, of course. And, 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 you know, the more natural and the conditions are more, you know, 
integrated in nature and there's freedom there, the the medicine work is equally powerful, directly yes. proportional for the setting. So, so I could just imagine um, that the clinical settings with two people. I mean, having those two people there, <laughs> I would be really uncomfortable to have it. Oh that I can't see see what they're doing, right? Because yeah. the paranoia will kick in. Yeah, and the fact that they're not on any substance either, right? Like I, I do not like being around people who are not on mushrooms when I'm on mushrooms, period, you know? <laughs> and and yeah, I mean, I very, yeah. I very often take mushrooms with the people that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And I think I, th- I, I know that that is a valuable part of this yeah. other type of work, you know, now, and again, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not like completely throwing the clinical stuff out the window. It's got a place. Um, but I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that it's not going to be the model that sustains. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's amazing. So I guess we got to have these little humorous moments uh, in the work. Otherwise, you know, just to keep the balance, just to keep mm-hmm. the, you know, keep it sane. But um, yeah. Um, so let's move on to your projects. What would you say to our listeners? Because we, I mean, I just feel so uh, honored to be able to speak to so many different, you know, people doing great work, leading uh, in this psychedelic renaissance and um, of course everybody resonates with different people and their work so if what are your projects currently what are the things that you're working on um, anything that you would like to share I mean the big thing is this minister training um, you know putting the hand putting the power back into the hands of the people we have a go after my uh, LSD trip a few weeks ago uh, I was just kind of sitting there looking at you know the creek and stuff and uh, this kind of communication came in that was like said, like, you know, you're going to ordain a thousand people in the next year. And I don't know if that's, you know, is that my, is that my imagination or is that, you know, being communicated to me, but that's, that's kind of the goal that I have right now. I think to see a thousand people standing up and taking back their power uh, and then showing others that they can do the same is is really powerful and it's not that we want to um no i don't want to i don't want to discourage people from going down the clinical route or or whatever um but i want to do want to encourage people to understand that you know it's all within them and that's what the medicine is going to eventually show you anyway so if we can just start from that premise then we're actually going to be ahead of the game and I, i think that you know, organizations like Sanctuary are, I think we're, we're 10, 20 years ahead of, um, of where we are now. And that that's the, you know, where we're going as a culture is in many ways where we are as a community already. So, uh, that's the big thing that I really want to share with the world is just to help as many people again. Uh, and, you know, it's, there's, there's a bit of a, um, bittersweetness to it that it still requires uh, certification from a legitimate organization for legal protection. Uh, But uh, having been arrested for psilocybin and knowing what that can do to your, (laughs) like every aspect of your life, uh, then I just kind of reframe it. And it's a real privilege to be able to take all of our hard work and kind of create this umbrella. We have a saying at Sanctuary, we are one people under the mushroom. And that's kind of the image that I take 
into this is that, you know, we're sanctuary is just a big umbrella of safety and security that you can come under and practice in whatever way, way you want, right? Because we're not here to tell anybody how they should work with the mushrooms. We have a, we have a code of ethics that basically is the golden rule, right? And as long as you abide by that, then you are welcome to be a member of our community. We, are, we will share open source all of our information with, with our community in the effort to help see every individual grow so that society as a whole can, can grow. I think, I think we're on a, a pretty significant um, cusp, evolutionary cusp as humanity and psychedelics are going to play. They are playing a significant role in that. So the quicker we can just get this out to the people without having to wait for, you know, the man to keep telling us what we can and can't do, then the faster that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing your insights. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to speak with you is because, of course, I've been seeing your posts for a while now. We connected on LinkedIn, and I don't even know how we connected because sometimes I just see a title, and if you know, obviously, I'm in the area, so I'm interested in people that speak about psychedelics and. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is your LSD experience. Mm. Uh, someone, if you're open to sharing, because someone who's oh, been yeah. working with psilocybin, um, what would you say to us? I mean, the difference and and also I like the way that um, it's almost like LSD was giving you instructions what to do. This is what you're going to do. Um, mm. How do you evaluate that? Because someone who's never had any psychedelic experience and stumbled upon this conversation they're gonna say what did lsd tell you <laughs> mm-hmm, do you know mm-hmm. what i mean so oh, what yeah. would you like to share 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 with us well i would first say that i have been and sometimes still am kind of the archetypal skeptic right i do not believe something just because i think it i don't believe something just because it's presented to me in media um and even with the mushrooms it's take it you know, they told me to start the retreats and I was like for a solid year, I was like, yeah, no, this is no, I'm just imagining this shit. Um, and so it's taken some, it's taken a lot of direct experiences for me to be able to confirm that there is a, an intelligence that is communicating with me in these States. Um, I would also say that, you know, Albert Hoffman, uh, a, you know, staunch materialist scientist said, that the compound spoke to him from the storage drawer where it was, right? 20 something years after it was first synthesized, it just sat there in storage until it wouldn't stop calling to him. Uh, so, you know, ultimately I think that the, the study of psychedelics, the experience of psychedelics is an exploration and an experience of consciousness. And that's really like consciousness is both form and function, right? Consciousness is the tool that we can use to improve, to expand our consciousness, if that makes sense. So, you know, I think for someone who is brand new to this, uh, probably going to take some Michael Pollan (laughs) to help them get comfortable, you know, but after you get past Michael Pollan and you want to talk to somebody that's actually been, you know, been talking to the mushrooms, then we can have a conversation. Uh, LSD is one though, that I, for years, I put down, you know, in, in 2001, maybe I uh, did a dose of LSD that was just phenomenal. And I was still then under the impression that, you know, psychedelics were 
not good for you, that LSD was eating your brain. So I stopped taking LSD and then, uh, you know, the restart started, restart started coming back up and we're seeing how, oh, LSD is actually good for your brain. So I finally got exposed to some quality LSD and I, it's, it's now kind of uh, coming around very frequently in the States here. Uh, and it's, it's been a very close ally of mine, honestly, um, which is interesting to me because so much of, you know, I love the natural world. You can't see it, but in front of me, there's probably 30 or 40 plants. I've got a big boa constrictor and a giant enclosure that's very naturalized. And, um, you know, I just, I love nature. I love plant-based medicine, but LSD is something that, uh, I have found to be an incredible ally in helping me reconnect to my childlike state, right? Mushrooms are a profoundly spiritual, a profoundly metaphysical experience. I absolutely have experiences with mushrooms that I've not been able to touch with any other compound with any other practice. And I, you know, I, I meditate regularly. I will do breath work. I, I, you know, I I try to put myself into expanded states of awareness and different modalities. And there's something very unique about the spirit of the mushroom. Um, And having come back into LSD in the last two or three years, um, I, I have such a respect for its power. Uh, I have such a love for its ability to, again, put me back into touch with that playfulness, you know, and I love how easy LSD is to drive, you know, mushrooms are not easy to direct mushrooms. You gotta take some real practice uh, to be able to kind of, you know, keep, keep the experience in a, in a, in a single lane, so to speak. It's just can be all over the place. And I like that. I want, I like that unpredictability. I enjoy engaging with that, but I, I love, 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 love how whenever I take LSD, I turn into a Ferrari, right? I am a high performance Eric. (laughs) Uh, And I love how with LSD, you can interface with, um, you know, the public a little bit easier. one of the, like I said, like this is all an exploration of consciousness. And I have, I've, I've always had a love for altered states. You know, I grew up here in Kentucky was bourbon country and we grew up on, a, on alcohol. And I did, I always loved getting, you know, fucked up for lack of better words. But now that I have found a s- safe ways to alter my consciousness and to push that envelope of stability, right? Um, that's one of the things I think I love the most about LSD is that it just really presents me with an opportunity to, you can either just fully engage with just the enormity of it all, or you could pull it back into kind of a a quiet, um, reflective, peaceful state. I don't know if that's making any sense. You know, again, it's like hard stuff to talk about, right? Uh, but those are some of the things that I love about, about LSD. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, this is very powerful. And um, just wanted to say a couple of things about that as well. So LSD has been in my interest since last year, and I've done extensive research and reading, and I've been following all the, uh, like you said, up-and-coming uh, research and clinical trials have been uh, done now 
so many companies are doing a lot of great stuff with LSD. Mm-hmm. And um, how I started seeing it is obviously for our listeners, we want to always, always put out the, the disclaimer that um, I always see, or now that I'm formulating ideas around LSD, that it responds to the container really well. So if mm-hmm. this container <clears throat> is well informed, trained and experienced like yourself you know who's been in it for decades and understands the non 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 ordinary states i feel like that's what makes you the ferrari in the experience mm-hmm. yeah but yeah. i could just yeah i could just imagine someone who's never had any of these experiences coming <laughs> in like right so yeah. and also like you know it is also true that many youngsters many many youngsters they take LSD every weekend and just rave or, you know, just mm-hmm. go out clubbing. So <clears throat> there is that. Um, so where I am currently with all these medicines, this is interesting. Uh, this is uh, first time I'm sharing with you, actually, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to call the earth medicines. Not that LSD isn't an earth medicine because it still comes from the fungi of the mm-hmm. ergot right it's, it's a derivative mm-hmm. of of nature still but mm-hmm. obviously it's it's isolated it's gone through something um here is my formulated idea so the earth medicines being things that we can directly eat from the earth which is mushrooms and although we are you know cooking ayahuasca but it's still the leaves and the the tree bark and all of these i found that there is um they carry something really universal and unique to them, which is they have an agenda kind of mm. thing. Mm. Um, and I came across this, this thing, uh, title, um, I think it belongs to a company, which I yet to research them and find out what they're about. It was psychedelics like cultivating us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a camp or something like that. But uh, one of my, uh, uh, you know, person that contacted me said he's going to be in this camp psychedelics are cultivating us i thought that was amazing and it really fits in with mushrooms ayahuasca mescaline and all of these beautiful medicines and the reason i felt they had an agenda because they just want us to be good humans they just want us to really get our stuff together and show up and and just kind of embrace this oneness the collective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. however with lsd it is more like the incredible intelligent technology that it doesn't have that kind of interest but just wants to open the curtain for you and then Mm -hmm. it's up to you Mm -hmm. right i found that it's just it's very direct it's almost like non-objective facilitator of whatever you want to go with yeah i love that i love that i've not really thought about it in those terms and i really appreciate that perspective that does make a lot of sense you know i mean um because LSD does seem so kind of like a blank canvas in and of itself, right? Um, I could also speak to, you know, with with psilocybin. So, um, you know, cubensis is the species that has been most widely cultivated and most used, and it's been really tied up in the black market. Sorry, my dog is having a fit here next to me. Um, it's been tied up in the black market. Um, there, you know, we've got all these kind of modified strains, you know, and I'm not, I'm not 
you know, I'm not really opposed to that, but I do have a sense that <clears throat> there is this kind of collective memory of, of plants, right? Of all life. Uh, there, it is conscious. And we have a strain or a species of psilocybin mushroom that's, that's here in Kentucky. Uh, it's called Psilocybe uh, ovoidiosis stidiata. It's a wood-loving mushroom. It was only first identified in 2007. Um, and it's, you know, why? I'm not really sure, but it is everywhere now. Our city in the spring is just covered with this mushroom. And I, I, pick, I pick lots of it. And <clears throat> so I've been cultivating, uh, cultivating cubensis for a very long time. And have have felt, God, it's a, it's this very nuanced topic to get into, but I think it's worth exploring here. So when I developed a couple of strains of my own that I, I never dispersed as cultivars, I would give them to people to consume, but I never gave anyone the culture to grow out or anything like that. And I felt after several years of growing and consuming this specific strain alone that we were developing a real rich relationship and that when I would consume psilocybin or cubensis mushrooms that were black market or grown by somebody else that I could feel a difference. There was a different energy to them. Now the, the ovoids, as we call them, ovoidios estidiata, um, when I first started consuming them, I kind of, originally I thought that the nature of the experience was solely based on their chemistry but I have recently, or not recently, in the last several years, have started to feel very strongly that this mushroom in particular, because it was so recently um, identified, discovered, <clears throat> never it has no history of use, that it doesn't have the same kind of um, baggage that cubensis does. And I, as, as weird as this may sound to some people, these ovoids unlike any other mushroom decided, you know, by growing cubensis for years and I've grown oysters and I just, you know, I had a farm, we grew 15 varieties of edible mushrooms, but the ovoids, there have been numerous times that while sitting in meditation or out working in my garden, that the, that the, that this voice would come into my head and say, we are here, come and get us. And I would go to the spot where they told me to go and they were there. Right. So like all of that is to say that we are very unaware of the subtle energies that are associated with everything, right? Everything. Look at what's I'm drinking a cup of coffee here right now. And, you know, you have to look at, it's not, you're not just drinking a cup of coffee in a vacuum. You're drinking this cup of coffee that is a product of all of these years of, of cultural expansion and interaction and, you know, uh, agricultural practices and all of that information is in that cup of coffee, right? So this is one of the problems that we had with Oregon, you know, as we tried to expand sanctuary into Oregon when they were uh, legalizing psilocybin, the, you know, they're requiring that every two pounds of dry mushrooms 
be assessed for potency and uh, quality and contaminants and all this stuff that is, first of all, it's unnecessary. And second of all, you are taking my medicine that is an energetic sponge already and putting it into the hands of people that I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they, if they care, if this is what, you know, what they're bringing to the table. I mean, you know, in indigenous cultures, um, to be able to go out and harvest the mushrooms, the, the, the sacred mushrooms, if that was a sacred practice that only young children in their purity were allowed to do. Right. And I th- as much as we kind of <clears throat> hype up the indigenous cultures and I hear very often, I saw someone saying today, like only indigenous people on LinkedIn, somebody saying only indigenous people should have the right to hand out psychedelics. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Right. And I think that our fetishism, fetishism of indigenous cultures is 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 really doing a disservice to their knowledge because their knowledge maintains that mushrooms are energetic sponges and whoever is picking or growing the mushrooms has a real impact on the qualitative nature of the experience so we can like you know say that we think indigenous people should be present for all these ceremonies but that's a, that, that's just lip service if we're not actually listening to the teachings of these cultures that work with the medicines. Right. Uh, so I don't know if that like answers the question. Uh, if I went down a, you know, a long search. I love to this route there. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is a uh, super valuable information. Yes. I, I do believe that these medicines carry imprints of mm-hmm. who's growing them, who's cultivating and the environment and the intention that goes in. Um, I had a friend in Germany uh, once. Um, I remember he said that he he cultivated one time cubensis. I think that he was he disciplined himself to specifically meditate around them and put loads of classical music and crystals and like really giving all he's got to these um, uh, mushrooms, knowing that they are you know medicines and uh, mm-hmm. and an energetical imprint. So I get that, and also about the indigenous ways. Um, I think that is so, again, it's dividing. It's always dividing. This kind of Mm -hmm. information and beliefs are so limited and and dividing. Um, I don't think indigenous indigenous people want that. They want the world to know and learn about their uh, practices. I know Mm -hmm. so many. And they love that the Western world is now coming for it and they are appreciating it. It's not... Like you said, everybody's saying something that is so um, disturbing, this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, But we'll just keep doing, hopefully, the right thing. And, mm-hmm. um, and let's see what unfolds. But I love all that you shared about the mushrooms, the relationship, and the, the strains. And each one carries, which we wanted to tie it with the LSD. And I totally believe the LSD doesn't have any of that. And it just works directly with the container that's here. And mm. I love that too. Well, and I, I do think that the, you know, the chemist who is creating the compound has an impact on it. You know, this, this, this became a very real uh, experience for us in Jamaica. So, you know, down there I was, I was, you know, we're running retreats twice a month. I was taking mushrooms sometimes six times a month, right. With groups. And so I was very open, very, very sensitive to, to energy and uh 
we had a, there was a wonderful um, villa there where we used to run retreats from, and we had a really good relationship with staff and they just made wonderful food. But the person that ran the villa was a, was, was, was very unpleasant. And occasionally she would mistreat the staff. And when she did, we would know it before we knew it because we could taste it in the food. And that is, a, I, that, I'm sure there are a lot of people that hear like it called bullshit, but like for real, you could feel the stress, you could feel the resentment, you could feel the love, you could feel the, the joy, whatever was in that food. And like it's, it, it, you could feel it. And it's not just seasoning, you know? Uh, so, you know, I think LSD and, and MDMA, all this stuff is the same. Uh, yes, there is kind of a basic chemical foundation, but the whole is more than the sum of the parts, right? Mm, yeah, super interesting. Yeah. Wow, Eric, this been this has been amazing. Thank you so much for dropping all your wisdom. And as we come into end of end of our conversation, I think we need to have you back, maybe to go into the cultivation and all of the other sides of the um, medicine work. Also, you have a podcast, Silicon says. I, I thought that was so cool and cute. Um, we'll add the link as well for our listeners and all of your links, of course, if they wanted to get in touch. Um, so what would you like to say as your last uh, words of wisdom for this conversation? Oh, I don't know. I, I think just trust in the process, you know, and it, particularly in the psychedelic world, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, do this, don't do this. This person should do this. This person shouldn't do this. We should, you know, and I've, I fall into that trap myself. And I guess this is really just kind of the, the, reminder for myself as much as for anybody that's listening is that we are not in control. We are on a, on an, an intelligent rock that is spinning around a nuclear reactor at a thousand plus miles an hour. We are not in control. There isn't, there is an intelligence that is underlying all reality that we can trust. We can let go. We've got all these fears of war and all just all this stuff that's kind of trying to test our faith, if you will. And we can absolutely have faith in the process. We can know that we are eternal and that there's nothing to fear that all we have to do, all we get to do really is just enjoy this ride. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I'm looking forward to having you on our podcast. I know. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> thank you for inviting me kindly. So I'm just happy that we, we can be connected in this way. And surely I'll be on your uh, you know, inbox asking you to come back very soon and maybe talk to us a little bit more different topics. And, and uh, yeah, if you don't mind, of course. Oh, I'd be happy your, to. And follow your journey and, of course, support your sanctuary and however we can, um, you know, from the up, uh, across the pond thanks so much yeah we've got actually we've got some members in the uk uh yeah <laughs> one of my mm -hmm. one of the most incredible human beings that i know is uh, or there's two of them two women who i'm friends with in the uk who i'm i'm, I'm trying to uh talk them into becoming uh psychedelic priestesses because they're so powerful and so beautiful and uh yeah there's a lot of great work to do mm, amazing thanks again and uh 
yeah, all the best. We'll be following your work. And uh, thank you, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed this session, this conversation. Please do get in touch with us. Drop it in the comments. Don't be shy. And uh, connect with Eric or myself. Otherwise, I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.